Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. We're going to look back on two terrific interviews with two top-notch coaches. In segment three, Pete Carroll. He's the head football coach of the USC Trojans. We'll look back on that conversation from 2007. And then in segment four, one of the brightest young minds in all of the NBA, Eric Spolstra, the head coach of the Miami Heat, led them to one of their greatest turnarounds in franchise history this past season. Eric Spolstra coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blogger. download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me via Twitter. Visit me and my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. Lots going on in the sports world this week. Lots of headlines coming up. Tragedy in Nashville. Steve McNair, former quarterback of the Tennessee Titans, Baltimore Ravens, dies this week after suffering four gunshot wounds. That's a terrible, terrible story. We'll talk about that more. On a more positive note, Roger Federer wins Grand Slam title number 15 in an epic Wimbledon final against Andy Roddick. We'll talk about that and all of the sponsor support for Federer. That's coming up next in Headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. It's the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry. The Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, tragedy strikes the NFL this week. Former NFL quarterback Steve McNair, who retired in 2007, played for the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens, was shot dead on Saturday. He was shot four times, twice in the head, twice in the chest by a semi-automatic pistol, supposedly operated by his girlfriend. Bobby, this is disturbing on so many different fronts. First of all, uh, Steve McNair was married, and he had four children. So to find that he had a relationship with a 20-year-old woman is disturbing, Then 
it looks like all the facts are pointing towards a murder-suicide where the woman shot him four times then shot herself once in the head. Steve McNair remembered as not only a tremendous football player, someone who left it all on the field, but also someone who was very involved in the community. This seems very out of character for him. But at the end of the day, you know what, Bobby? We don't really know these athletes and what they do in their personal lives. Exactly. We try and see what, you know, the teams and the networks and what the leagues portray as their players, you know, the public image of them. But I find it funny that this is not the first run in that he had with the law and her. Because I believe earlier in the week. Two days before this, there was a DUI. Exactly. And Steve McNair wasn't driving the vehicle. He was in the passenger seat and he got to leave the scene. But still, you know, something didn't quite make sense. And now that fact's starting to fall into place. Well, the other thing that is very odd, there's a car registered to both of them. Then he had this condominium that he shared with a friend. It seems very odd to me if you're married with four children that you've got these types of things going on. Why would you have a car registered with another woman? I mean, if you're trying to be discreet, the last thing you do is register a vehicle with another woman. Again, it's very sad. Steve McNair did a lot for the NFL. He did a lot for the community. He was co-MVP with Peyton Manning in 2003. Uh, Everyone that you talk to about this guy has wonderful things to say about him. But the sad thing is his legacy and how a lot of people are going to remember him is he went out at the hands of uh, a woman who, you know, was obviously uh, out of her mind and shot him, took his life, and then took her own life. It's just a tragedy all the way around. Our next headline, Roger Federer won his 15th Grand Slam title, outlasting Andy Roddick for his sixth Wimbledon championship in a match that went to 30 games in the final set. Federer won 5-7-7-6-7-6-3-6-16-14 to break the record for major titles that he shared with Pete Sampras. Bobby, the cool thing about this, first of all, it was an epic match. I think on some levels it was actually better than the Federer-Nadal match from last year. And then the other thing that I just thought was so cool is Pete Sampras, who hadn't been back to Wimbledon in seven years, came and sat courtside. He was there with Bjorn Borg, Rod Laver. Obviously, John McEnroe was calling the match, Boris Becker. There were some great champions that were there to witness history, and I think Roger Federer really appreciated that. Absolutely, and the best part is NBC didn't tape delay it, so everybody yeah. got to see it live. Yeah, we certainly ripped on NBC on our show last week for not having uh, live coverage of Wimbledon, but they did come through this weekend. The Williams sisters, even though it was straight-set victory for Serena, uh, that was a good match, and it was on live. And then the men's match was just incredible. I mean, this is three years in a row that the men's final has been very, very solid. And, uh, you know, kudos to Roger Federer, but kudos to Andy Roddick, who I think played the match of his life and withstood 50 aces from Federer and uh, was still right there on the verge of, uh, of winning this thing. He had to hold serve 10 times in the final set just to get to 16-14. If you are not a fan of tennis after watching the match, you know, with Federer and Nadal last year and then having to turn around and watch, you know, what happened this year at Wimbledon, you seriously need to, you know, have your head checked because tennis is still not to the level it used to be, 
But I think with the two big matches that we've seen over the last two years, I think it really is coming back. Well, and it's great that they happen at Wimbledon, at the U.S. Open, at the French Open. It's much better than if it happens at the, the Pilot Pen or, you know, one of those tournaments where not a lot of people are watching. People remember the epic matches at the Grand Slam. It's just like golf. People tune in to watch the British Open and the U.S. Open and the Masters and the PGA Championship much more than they do with the regular tournaments on on the week-to-week schedule. And speaking of success, several of Roger Federer's sponsors enjoyed a tremendous amount of success after his victory. Success. I have great news for you. How sweet it is. Right on, sweet sister. Time to highlight a winning move from the world of sports business. Oh, man, that's sweet. Sports Business Radio presents Sweet Success. That'd be sweet. Brought to you by Moose Tracks Ice Cream. To find Moose Tracks at a store near you, check out the store locator at moosetracks.com. Well, the people at Nike and Wyden and Kennedy rarely miss opportunities to capitalize on historic achievements or grand achievements from Nike athletes, and it was no different this past weekend. As soon as Roger Federer won the match, the first commercial on NBC after he won the match, before the trophy presentation, was a Nike spot that obviously had been produced in anticipation of Federer winning career Grand Slam title number 15. Featured in the spot, congratulations from Tiger Woods, from Michael Jordan, from Serena Williams, John McEnroe, and... Pete Sampras, whose record he broke, who had 14 career Grand Slams. I thought it was genius by Nike to have that slot reserved because you knew everyone, Bobby, was going to stick around and watch the trophy presentation. So lots of eyeballs saw that spot. And as soon as I saw the commercial, I just went, wow. You know, it kind of reminded me of a few years ago when Tiger Woods won the Masters and he made that incredible chip in. And the ball rolled across the green slowly, and you saw the little Nike swoosh, and then it just rolled right into the hole. And literally, the next day, Nike had a spot produced congratulating Tiger, and you know it, it was genius. And they do this time and time again where they capitalize on one of their athletes' achievements, and it made a lot of sense. So then they promoted NikeTennis.com. If you go to NikeTennis.com or go to SportsBusinessRadio.com, you can watch the commercial. I've posted the commercial on my website. Now, NetJets also has been running a commercial congratulating Roger Federer. They congratulated him on career Grand Slam win number 15, but they had been running a commercial, which they just basically tagged differently at the end, where he's pulling all of his trophies onto the plane. It's a really cool commercial. That is also on our website. And then Rolex, who actually sponsors uh, Federer and Roddick, Both of those guys put on their Rolex watches as soon as the match was over. You could see them as they were holding up their trophies, wearing their Rolex watches. And so Nike, NetJets, and Rolex enjoyed sweet success this week. You know, it was really cool. And we talk about Nike on the show all the time and the fact that they have the ability to create these commercials. And the fact that they had, you know, the wherewithal to create the spot ahead of time. Well, I'm sure what they had is Nike had that buy ready to go if Federer won, and he did. If Federer had lost, they probably obviously wouldn't have run that commercial. So I just think I'm sure what Nike did is they said, look, we want slot A coming out after the championship before the trophy presentation if Federer wins, and that's what happened. Yeah, exactly. And it's you know it's a great heads up on their part, but hey, you know what? Congratulations. 15 Grand Slams, 
guys, if not the best, one of the best. Well, and I give Pete Sampras a lot of credit. Pete Sampras had not been back to Wimbledon in seven years since he retired. He flew halfway around the world. He sat there courtside, watched, and was so gracious afterwards and had nothing but praise and called Roger Federer the greatest champion of all time. And, you know, a lot of guys, I've seen records broken and guys either don't show up or they do show up and, well, you know, I still think I'm better and I was in a different era and his era isn't as hard as my era. And Pete Sampras was nothing but class, and that showed me a lot for him to come to that match with his wife and speak in, in glowing terms of Roger Federer. And Roger Federer should appreciate the great champion that Pete Sampras is, and I think he does. Uh, absolutely, and it's just another testament to the character of the people that play tennis. Well, and I'll tell you, too bad that they only played once for, for real, but uh, imagine a match in their prime, Federer-Sampras. That would be one that would be epic, and I, I'd love to watch it. All right, coming up next, we've got Pete Carroll We look back on our interview with the USC head football coach from 2007, and then after that, another bright young coach, Eric Spolstra, the head coach of the NBA's Miami Heat. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. I've got a confession to make. I'm a sucker for good ice cream. There's nothing better than watching a sporting event while enjoying an ice cream cone, or better yet, fixing an ice cream sundae with my daughter. Lucky for me, I found an indulgent ice cream at an affordable price. Moose Tracks ice cream comes in a variety of flavors, including chocolate moose tracks, extreme moose tracks, mint moose tracks, and of course, original moose tracks, just to name a few. What's my favorite moose tracks ice cream flavor? It's chocolate moose tracks which is chocolate ice cream with peanut butter cups and famous Moose Tracks fudge. For a chocoholic and peanut butter lover like me, it's heaven. What's your favorite Moose Tracks flavor? To find the Moose Tracks branded store nearest you, check out the store locator at moosetracks.com. That's M-O-O-S-E-T-R-A-C-K-S dot com. Or find the Moose Tracks banner on our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Moose Tracks ice cream, the official ice cream of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is USC head football coach Pete Carroll. So, Coach, you came here in 2000, and when you came to USC, the program was kind of mired in mediocrity. Obviously, you've done some great things to turn it around. When you first came to USC, what was your vision for this program and to get it to where it is today? Well, we were we were clear in, in uh, that there was great potential here. And uh, so I settled on a thought that we wanted to do things better than it's ever been done before. And we thought that we'd hold on to that and everything that we we're doing, whether it was recruiting or teaching or coaching or technology, you know, from, from A to Z, do it better than it's ever been done before. And so to do that, you have to, uh, you, you know, you have to be relentless. I mean, you, you can't just do that sometimes. You have to do it all the time. So the central theme in our program, which I think represents what I feel most strongly about, is, is competition. And so we created an air of competition in everything that we were doing and, and uh, that would keep us kind of on a, in a pursuit of uh, a competitive edge, you know, just re- like relentlessly. And so uh, we've, been, uh, we've been on that ever since. It's been a, a, a great charge for us, and, and it's kept us on track throughout. Now, you pursued this job, and you had coached in the NFL. Why did you want to come back to college, and why did you not choose to stay with an NFL job? Well, the... <laughs> 
the uh, the college season comes up first in coaching, you know, because the, the games are in the seasons are over earlier. And uh, when a couple opportunities were out there, and you know, I went after them to see if I could you know, generate some interest. And uh, SC was because of Daryl Gross. I had you know, some relationships with uh, him from back in the days as of the Jets, and, uh, and and they were interested. So we started talking, and, and one thing led to another. This is a great program, you know. It's a great school and all that. It's, it's one of the best in, in the country, uh, you know, historically. And I'm a California guy. There aren't very many jobs in California. And uh, as we started to you know, put it together and see what it was all about, it just w- it looked to be a great opportunity. I've always wanted to know someone who sits in your seat. You've coached in the NFL. You've coached in college. We've seen guys like Steve Spurrier and Nick Saban go to the NFL. They've had a difficult time. Charlie Weiss is having a tough time at, at Notre Dame right now. What What is more difficult, coaching in the NFL or coaching in college, in your opinion? I think coaching in the NFL is much more uh, complicated. I, I, th- I think it's the... Uh, the scrutiny um, that follows you and, and the um, the speed of the of the evaluation process is just a high speed, and, and uh, you have no time. And I think the tolerance um, by those that follow you that create the momentum for the pressure and the stress and and the uh, uh, you know just the evaluations uh, is such that you just have to hit it right or you're done. And uh, it's very, very difficult. I mean, just look how many guys have, have been able to sustain. There's very few guys that can maintain the jobs. You know, they, they come and go all the time. And so uh, I think that that causes a lot of problems for you. Uh, if you don't have a quarterback, you're dead, you know, and, and it's, it's some, some really simple issues, and there's not much you can do about it sometimes. Uh, the, the job I found was much more difficult because you had to share the leadership position and, and the philosophical approach to things uh, much more so, which does not at all enhance or behoove the, the job that you're trying to do as a leader of a program or the, the so, so-called leader of the program. When You have to do it the best way that you can, and if, when you're representing other people and other thoughts, it's very, very challenging. It's very frustrating. So this is different here, and, and it's, much, it's a much cleaner line of uh, – of leadership and and, uh, and and authority and all of that, and it's made uh, my job way easier and, and much uh, much more fun, and, and I've enjoyed it a great deal more. My guest is USC head football coach Pete Carroll. Coach Carroll, uh, pretend I'm an elite athlete. You're coming into my living room. You're going to be talking to me and my parents. What are the two or three things that you're going to tell me to sell me on USC's football program? Well, the the process of recruiting isn't a one-time sit-down. It, it, it takes a long time to get through the information, but there are a, a few elements that, that that we try to you know that we consistently return to. This is an extraordinary university. It's a private institution right here in just the, the hotbed of all that's going on in the world of business for the entire Pacific Rim. One of the tremendous uh, media centers of, of the world, um, and, and it's got so much visibility in in what you do and what you can create out of here that it's it's an extraordinary extraordinary place to go to school. Um, the, the fact that it's a private school, smaller, and, and you know, 16,000 you know, regular students makes this a small campus setting, yet you're still on, playing on a large you know, uh, BCS level of football. Um, the other part of it is that our football has been very successful, and it's been successful, and uh, in, in it gives you the, the players an opportunity to really exercise everything they would ever want to do in the sport. We've reached the, the heights of, of national championships. We've we've seen our players be recognized nationally with the Heisman's and all of the, the national uh, awards that they can they can you know, can generate. Uh, we've had. Uh, an opportunity to do all that, but more importantly than just being able to do it, we've done it over a long period of time, and we've been very successful for for a long haul, which is really you know part of the fabric of this program. And, and I think the the final thing is that um, 
when you're in our program, you're going to be in a program that is designed to try and create this to be an extraordinary experience for you. I don't want this to just be football, you know, and that's it. And I don't want it to just be academics, and that's it. I want it to be all of that, and then much more with the experience of how we go about the things that we do. If we're not having fun, I'm messing it up. I'm making mistakes. I'm, I'm, I'm not on track. This should be a fun, uh, filled of, of excitement and changes and, and, and new stuff and challenges to, to, uh, to our kids in, in every way, not just on the football field, not just academically, but how they handle themselves and how they deal with the world around them. Uh, so, uh, and then the final thing that, that you know I like to get across is it's not too good to be true. This is really happening. It really is the real deal, and we're doing it for the right reasons, and with caring for people and loving them as they go through our program, and loving them as they leave, and taking care of them throughout. Uh, with I think in a manner that that I know separates us in some degree, and I hope makes it a very very unique experience. You've built a tremendous program here. Uh, what are the two to three uh, core philosophies that you have for leadership? You're a tremendous leader. Well, I, I think it, you have to know where you're going and who you are to do this and, and to do it really well. Um, you know, I need to be really consistent about what I represent as the leader of, the, of this program. And in that, I try to model our kid, to our kids, uh, you know, a really committed, strong, um, all-encompassing belief about who we are and how we do this. Um, that that's what's most important. I think when people sense that somebody has a really good feel for who they are and what they're doing, it's easier to listen to them. It's easier to follow them. And then as you build on the successes and you give them the examples of where they can go that are real, real life things, and then they don't question, you know, the authority. They don't question the direction. And there, then they follow and they they are able to allow themselves to be led. Well, that that's that's. I think it comes from a, just a general sense. And I have to do a really good job of staying on task all the time. You know, I just can't ever shut down. I can't ever have a bad day. I can't ever waver from the main line of how we operate and expect them to, to you know, totally commit and be, you know, be thoroughly uh, behind everything that we're doing. So uh, that's with energy. That's with commitment. That's with consistency. That's with uh, making sense to them, doing sensible things. Don't, don't throw them curveballs where they don't know what's going on or what's happening and give them a sense that we're really on course where they don't have to even ever be concerned about that stuff. They just need to excel. You mentioned earlier one of the, the main points to recruit is Los Angeles and all the opportunities that are here. There's no NFL team here, and I would imagine because there's no NFL team, maybe you're a little bit more under the microscope than you would be if there was an NFL team. You've been so successful. Um, I think this is an extraordinary community. Uh, yeah, we, have, we, we don't have the professional football team, but we have great professional sports here with the Dodgers and the Lakers and the Angels and all that's going on with the Ducks and everybody. You know, we, we have great fan base. Uh, their expectations are maybe a little bit different than a, a small town college setting in different states of the, around the country. But uh, we, we have an extraordinary following. We're, we're 92,000 every game. We're selling out the Coliseum for the first time ever last year, you know, for the entire year. Uh, we have the L.A. Times with front page L.A. Times whenever anything's going on one way or the other. And all, all of that does bring a, a focus that's, that's unique and that's special and that we love that we have this opportunity. You know, if we were getting our butt kicked all the time and weren't doing any good, it would be horrible. But the other side of it, it's awesome that we have this. And, and our entire program benefits from that. You know, we're all over the nation with, with what we're doing. It's not just a local deal. We're, we're a nationwide program that everybody hears about and knows about. Last question. Uh, obviously, you've built something very special here. I know you've had uh, opportunities to go back to the NFL. Is this your dream job, or is there something else out there on the horizon that you'd like to do at some point in your career? Well, I don't. I've thought about it a lot and, and had opportunities to you know, entertain the, the ideas of going 
the makeup of this job is so unique for me that, that I, I don't see anything ever matching it. So in my mind, I've settled my mind clearly that I'm staying here and I don't want to go anywhere else. That the, the makeup is so clean in that it's, you know, I'm in charge of all phases of it. I run the whole thing. I don't have to, you know, defer to anybody to, to, to make a choice on what's going on here. As long as we stay out of trouble, we're, we have no problems. And so uh, that's, that's a very clean slate for me. And there's, there's, there's too much ownership. There's too much uh, uh, kind of leadership already in existence in other, other teams in the NFL that you have to deal with. And, and I don't, I, I don't, I know there's no other situation that matches this. So I'm, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm not going anywhere. I've said the same thing for seven years, and I'll get asked the same questions again at the end of this year, and I won't have any problem answering because I know, I know clearly what I'm doing. Coach, congratulations on your success, and thanks for taking some time today. All right. You got it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Hey, Eric, congratulations on your appointment as the new Miami Heat head coach. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. So, Eric, you've taken a really interesting path to become the head coach of the Miami Heat. Can you tell us and our listeners the story of how you met Pat Riley and, and really how you got started in the coaching business? Well, uh, it was really my first job with the Heat, and I started out, it was 13 years ago. I was hired pretty much for the summer. Dave Wool hired me, and I was working in the video department and uh, working on the draft, a little bit of free agency, with the option of hopefully being able to extend into the following year. But uh, as people remember, Pat Riley didn't even get hired until uh, late August or early September. It was right before training camp, and uh, he could not bring his staff down from New York. So I remember uh, he came into my office one day. I had barely even met him, you know, and uh, he said, hey, you're down here doing the video. Can you be the video coordinator? Can you do this job? To be honest, I had really no idea what that even meant. I just said, yeah, absolutely, you got your guy. And, uh, you know, 13 years later, survived and uh, got to the point uh, where I am right now. What a great story, and what confidence you must have had uh, in yourself to basically say, well, I haven't done this job before, but I'm going to do it somehow because I want to keep within this organization. Yeah, maybe uh, confidence or just absolutely totally naive. (laughs) 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 I mean... Uh, I really didn't have an idea, and I didn't even know what I was getting into. I mean, it really was uh, tough at, at first, you know, working for such a taskmaster like uh, 
Coach Riley, and uh, he really was demanding and and really set up uh, kind of you know the baseline for my you know work ethic and uh, you know stuff I really relied on as I moved forward. Hey, Eric, walk us through the process. I know there had been rumors for a long time that Pat Riley was going to step aside at some point. Obviously, he's getting up there in age and he's had a Hall of Fame career. How did he approach you and say, all right, Eric, I'm handing the reins over to you and uh, you're our guy? Well, he kind of hinted at it, you know, the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, he'd make jokes about it. Uh, you know, hey, you better get ready. And uh, just kind of got my, frame, my uh, mind kind of working in that direction. And after this season, obviously we finished, you know, very poorly with 15 wins only. But uh, he decided pretty quickly about a week after the season that uh, he wanted to step down. And and we met for about three hours. And he said that, uh, you know, he wanted to step down and uh, and hand the, the head coaching job over to me. And uh, just kind of went from there. That's a great. I mean. You must have just sat there thinking, gosh, uh, look at how far I've come in 13 years. You've put in so much hard work, but uh, what an endorsement for Pat Riley, a Hall of Fame coach, to say, all right, Eric, I see your traits and I see your qualities, and uh, I want to give you your first head coaching opportunity. That must have been an amazing day for you. It meant a lot, and really because of the relationship that uh, we've built over the 13 years, and and he's had a tremendous influence on, on my life and profession. You know, really as a mentor, uh, you know, as my boss, and he taught me so much about uh, the game and uh, and how to how to be a coach, how to handle the business of basketball, and how to be a leader and and so forth. And it really did mean a lot to me. And uh, and I really look forward to working with him in the future. It's not as if he's moving on. I hear so many people say that, oh, you know, he's retired, he's gone. No, he's still the leader of our franchise, and and we'll be running the franchise from the president's chair. And I look forward to uh, working for for him and, and together with him trying to get this thing back to where we were. I'm joined by Eric Spolster. He is the new head coach of the Miami Heat. Eric, when I look at you, I see kind of NBA coach 2.0. You're 37 years old. You're intelligent. You've got a lot of energy. You've used technology to kind of help you gain an advantage against your opponents. You read books like Freakonomics and Blink. Um, I, I kind of put you in that class with guys like Theo Epstein, Billy Bean. I know they're GMs, but... You know, when I look at you, I see a new breed of NBA head coach. How would you best describe your overall approach to coaching? Well, it's, it's always got to be a comfort level with your personality. And uh, there's so many different ways and styles to win an NBA. And I've seen it, you know, over the years. And, uh, and that's really just my personality, uh, that I do come from a background of, you know, working. And I, I've worked quite a bit with computers and I I am an, you know, I like the numbers and that's kind of my comfort level. And hopefully that'll be something that I can transfer over, you know, some level of success, but ultimately it becomes, it's about the relationship you have with the players and the connection you have with them and, uh, and their comfort level that they can go out there and compete with confidence. And so I think Ultimately, that's really the most important thing, and uh, you know the technology and that type of thing. I, I, I will use that as much as I can because it is a comfort level for me, and it still remains to be seen if that will have a factor. You know, I look at coaches like Phil Jackson, who gives his players books on a regular basis and challenges their minds as well. Um, it seems like being a coach these days at the pro level is also kind of like being part-time psychologist. Would you agree with that? It's probably part-time psychologist, part-time motivator, part-time teacher, coacher, mentor, you know, all of those things fall under the category of head coach in the NBA. 
and uh, so many things encompass that role, and uh, and there's so many different challenges every single day. But again, I get back to it. It's it's all about the connection with the players and uh, where they feel that you can help them uh, be successful. And so hopefully that's something I can do from the, the head coaching chair. You know, I see your relationship with Dwayne Wade. He's given you a lot of credit for really making him the player he is today. I mean, obviously he came out of Marquette with some amazing athletic skills, but uh, you've really helped him hone those skills and become a fantastic NBA player. Um, Talk about your relationship with Dwayne Wade a little bit. I mean, here's your guy. He's the guy you're building your team around, and you're going from an assistant to the head coach position. Um, Have you had discussions with him about your transition? Oh, yes. Uh, we've talked several times on the phone. And in fact, I was just in Chicago earlier in the week uh, just checking in with him. Uh, you know, he's working vigorously with uh, Tim Grover up there trying to get uh, healthy and get his legs right, not only for the Olympics, uh, but also to get 100% healthy for our training camp next year. And uh, he's extremely motivated and uh, really ready to redeem himself and the team you know, for next year. But uh, our relationship has been great, and it's been one that's been developed over five years. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like to take credit for that because that's really him, and that's about his work ethic. He's really the one that was knocking on my window and, and had the drive and, and really wanted to improve, and, and he always wants to add something to his game. But that's something within himself that uh, really makes him special. But uh, in terms of our relationship, yeah, like we've been through the greatest times of championship, but also, you know, some real tough times, adversity, and uh, I think that strengthened the bond, and, and there's certainly a level of trust uh, from that. Now, you've worked for Pat Riley. You've also worked for Stan Van Gundy, two guys, you know, taskmasters, uh, workaholics, just basketball junkies. Um, from everything I've seen and read about you, you're kind of a basketball junkie as well. It, it's, it seems like you couldn't help but have that rub off on you from working with those two guys, right? <laughs> right. You know, people talk about that all the time. Like, how early do the guys, uh, you know, from the Miami Heat get into the office? It's not a competition at all. I mean, a lot of us just like to get in early uh, just because it's quiet. But uh, uh, I often get in there, you know, before, you know, the sunrise, and I'm rarely even the first one. For video guys, you know, a lot of those guys stay the night and, you know, they're working all crazy hours in the evening. And as a young coach, you know, when I was coming through the Miami Heat ranks, it really does have an influence. You know, you see uh, coaches that have been in the business for so long who have such a passion for the game and passion for coaching and teaching. Uh, it definitely uh, rubs off on you. Now, you were a ball boy for the Portland Trailblazers long ago. And I Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Rick Adelman was uh, coaching the team when you were a ball boy. Did you pick anything up from, from him in your days uh, as a ball boy with the Blazers? Well, I wasn't specifically a ball boy, but I attended all the games. And uh, I was certainly a fan. You know, when I was young, my father worked for the Blazers, and I went to, you know, all the home games. I had to have been the only kid of – you know, somebody from the staff that went to all the games and I uh, went to practices when I could. I attended summer practices and and stuff of that nature. But, uh, you know, I kind of had an influence on me in terms of it stoked my passion for the game. And uh, I wasn't really directed into coaching by my father, but I was around it enough that uh, and I saw people that uh, were really 
enthusiastic about coaching and teaching at a young age that uh, at some point during high school or college, I, I realized that, that was something I wanted to get into. What do you think about the balance between burnout and, you know, being uh, a workaholic? I mean, it seems like there's this fine line that, uh, you know, you can burn yourself out if you don't recharge your batteries every once in a while. We see it not only in the NBA, but in other professions as well. Uh, what do you do to recharge your batteries? Are you able to do that? Or are you so driven, kind of like uh, Riley and Van Gundy, that you're not able to hit the off switch every once in a while? Well, I think uh, I think everybody has some kind of outlet. And, that, again, that's my comfort level. You know, I like to grind it. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, I am a little bit of a grinder. And that's my comfort level. And, uh, you know, as a release, a lot of times I just, you know, I, clear my mind i like to get out and run you know for half hour 45 minutes it's a great mental release even more than uh physical benefits from it i also like to read uh but uh just the nature of the game it's so competitive you know almost every staff is is really grinding and and working a a ton we're joined by eric spolster he's the head coach of the miami heat eric just a few minutes left you know you're the first asian american to be named head coach of a U.S. Major League sports team. That's really quite an accomplishment if you think about it. What does that mean to you on a personal level? Well, I'm very proud of my heritage. And, uh, you know, I'm Filipino, Irish, and Dutch, so I don't think there's many of us running around. (laughs) Uh, No kidding. (laughs) But uh, it does mean a lot to me uh, just to to be a part of of something unique. And it just shows that, uh, you know, opportunities are available for for anybody out there. And... uh, and I took kind of a, a different path than many, but uh, the fact that I've gotten to this point shows that uh, you can be any any race or, or color and uh, and still be able to succeed and, and do stuff that you want to be able to do. Since you took the job, I know you've reached out to some of your peers in the NBA, but also some other people who are first-time coaches in their profession. Uh, how have those conversations gone? Do you care to share any of the uh, tidbits, pieces of advice that uh, people have given you? Uh, the coaches that I've I've spoken to around the league, and some of them, are, you know, I've already been friends with Lawrence Frank, uh, Mike Brown. These guys are my peers, and we kind of came in the league at the same time, so they're about my same age range. But uh, everybody's been very helpful. I mean, it's very competitive once you get into the season, but uh, you know, in the off season, it's a little bit of fraternity, and uh, and guys do want to see other other peers succeed. So. You know, some of the tidbits, the main things have been, you know, you got to be yourself. And uh, something that I was already thinking about, you know, coming into this, I can't try to be, you know, anybody else and uh, and really just be comfortable with myself and and move forward, you know, from there. Right. Uh, you mentioned earlier the Heat only won 15 games last year. And it was an interesting season. Dwayne Wade was hurt a lot. Uh, obviously, you traded Shaq for Sean Marion, so he's a new face on the team. As you prepare for your first season as an NBA head coach, what are some of the things that we're going to look at next year when we see the Heat running up down the court and we're going to go, all right, here are the traits of an Eric Spolstra coach team. That that team shows us that he's leading this team now. We know he's in charge. Well, I think, uh, defensively, I think that we will try to do it, You know what we've done over the years. We've been one of the better defensive teams right. over the years, and that's something that's always going to be you know, a staple for the Miami Heat organization, and, and that's part of our culture is uh, defending and playing hard and being, you know, in condition. You know, in addition to that, offensively, uh, it depends on who we're going to have on our roster come next October. But uh, in terms of who we have coming back, we feel very good about, 
you know, our young core. It's exciting, uh, young and athletic, uh, you know, built around Dwayne Wade. And uh, with the draft pick we have coming up next month, we feel that uh, we can take advantage of that speed and athleticism. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that draft pick, I'm not asking you to talk about specifics, but it's pretty well known that Derek Rose, Michael Beasley, the two guys that are coming up in this draft seem to be most everyone's one and two. What do you look for? I mean, you're going to sit down, you're going to watch these guys, you're going to interview them as any of the teams do. What do you look for when you're wanting a basketball player on your team? What are the traits you look for that say, hey, this is a guy I want playing for me? Well, uh, obviously ability is one thing, and it has to fit into you know what we need. And uh, coming off 15 wins, obviously – we do have a lot of things that we need to add to this roster, but uh, it starts with ability, and uh, we also look into intangibles like character and uh, work ethic and heart, how hard people play, how coachable they are. And, uh, again, we feel very excited about the opportunity. Uh, we have the second pick in the draft. Uh, we know we're going to get an impact player, and uh, a little bit of decision-making is out of our hands, you know, due to Chicago having the number one pick, but uh, it's a great opportunity for us. And uh, it's a great first step for us to to make you know an improvement to our team. Yeah, whoever you add to Dwayne Wade, uh, you know, I think in the East you can seemingly get back to the top a lot faster than you can in the West. So it seems like you definitely have that as an advantage. Last question: You know, Pat Riley is legendary for his intense practices. There's a lot of free agents that have said, "I'm not going to sign in Miami because I just don't want to go through those practices." What are your practices going to be like starting uh, this October? Well, our practices will be dictated on the, you know things we feel we need to improve on, but uh, certainly they will be hard. They'll be intense, but uh, hopefully they'll be inf- efficient, and uh, we'll try to keep them as efficient as possible and and and, and keep it to around uh, you know hour and a half or hour and fifteen minutes. But it just depends. It'll depend on the season, time, you know, situation, our health, things of that nature. Uh, but um, it's an exciting time for the Miami Heat. You know, even coming after a, a season with only 15 wins, we feel very good about the players we have coming back when they're healthy, uh, that it's exciting, young, athletic, and then we can add a couple players this summer. Well, Eric, I think you're going to do a fantastic job as the head coach of the Miami Heat. I think the team has a bright future. Guests appearing during our sports segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Mortons nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Eric, congratulations again on being the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. 
Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Former NFL player Jim Brown, very critical of Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan in the past few weeks about their lack of effort in the community and philanthropic efforts. Well, Tiger Woods did wonders this past week at the AT&T National, which he hosts in Washington, D.C. First of all, he donates his entire winnings back to his foundation, the Tiger Woods Foundation, which is doing tremendous work impacting the lives of youth not only in Southern California, Washington, but also in other countries. Um, He did a number of clinics. He visited the Walter Reed Medical Center and visited a number of uh, veterans who are amputees. He let kids 12 and under into his tournament that probably wouldn't have been able to watch this golf tournament unless he let them in for free. So I tip my hat to Tiger Woods. Could he take a stand on a few more social issues? Maybe. But is he doing really good things in the community? Absolutely. And he's raising a lot of money. For charity, I tip my hat to Tiger Woods. A lot of thank yous this week. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Moose Tracks Ice Cream, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. You can find us via Facebook and Twitter as well. Go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on our blog, and find the links to Facebook and Twitter on that page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a tremendous week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> 
<laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. 